0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: To the Donaldson Files here on the Back of the News Radio Network, uh, Dr. Larry will be joining me in about 15 minutes. We're going to look at his career, his life, and the lessons he's learned from his business, uh, from working with government, from as an educator, and as the owner of a horse farm. Uh, so he'll be on in about uh, ten, about ten minutes. Um, so, but what I wanted to kind of do is get started here with this is a couple of things. Uh, uh, it, 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 you know, a couple of things. Based on going into the sports, the first part of this is the sports. And, and then I walked in very briefly to talk about the Canadian election last night. Uh, is, but the first thing I want to talk about is last night the Packers beat, beat up along the Detroit Lions. And this kind of shows you, in the NFL and football in general, how one week can change everything. Last week, uh, the Packers got defeated badly. It was, you know, they looked horrible. And then, and, and, and then, you know, Aaron Rodgers, me and Aaron Rodgers, when they said, well, what's going on? What's going on? His answer was, it's one game. We got 16 more games left. Don't worry. We'll take care of this. And last night, the second half, he looked like Aaron Rodgers. Uh you know, they were down 17 to 14th of half, and after that it was like 21 straight points. They dominated the game. And, and it kind of gets you, now we'll see what happens next. But here's the point. I mean, it's like drama. You know, there's you know, so much drama here you know, in the NFL. One game doesn't make a season. And that's what Aaron's, you know, Aaron Rodgers' point was. But there is a lesson to be learned in this, and this is the lesson that I'm going to get here, and we're going to do some lessons on sports in general. But this is the lesson that I'm going to leave with this audience: is this okay? Sometimes in life, things aren't always what they seem, or the things aren't as bad as they appear, or they may not be as good as they appear, or sometimes you know what happens today, or this week, or tomorrow. Well, you know, a month down the road, the whole thing changes. This is life. This is politics. This is sports. You know, how many times have you, let's say, you've had a day, you know, something that happened in your life and, it, and, it, and you just fell out, you know, lowest low, but just somehow another month later, another break comes up, and you're back on top. Uh, sports is like that. Politics is like that. Uh, you know, you know, political seasons, changes. I mean, as somebody who's a political operative, and I do run a political pack, America's PAC, uh, you know, I don't – it's like the highs and the lows. It's like, okay, right now, you know, somebody was going to say if the election was held tomorrow, the Republicans win. Uh, the election Easy. we just did a couple of polls and a couple of battleground states where – but the question comes into play, is very simple. Well, the election is not going to be held The uh tomorrow it's not gonna be held in November of two thousand and twenty it's gonna be held in two thousand and twenty two so you don't know ever what's gonna happen uh, and and I think you know the lesson to be learned from Aaron Rodgers is that you know is don't panic. We still have sixteen games left, you know, sixteen games left so say all right, so. Let's not pit. So I thought that was an interesting aspect. And the other aspect that comes into play is this: in a season, they play and determine where you're at. The Washington New York Giants game was a very interesting aspect because here's the deal: the Giants left points on the on the field. They had one drop pass that should have been a touchdown. They end up with a field goal. They had a touchdown run. It was called back because of a holding. They end up with a field goal. That's a plus eight points they left on. And on top of that, Washington, the last play of the game, misses a 48-yard field goal. The Giants, one of the Giants' defensive linemen was offsides, lined up offsides. Washington gets a second shot, wins the game. Uh, And sometimes these may be the things that determine a season. And it certainly will determine where you are right now. Uh, The Giants would have looked good one and one. Washington would have been in a panic situation 0-2, going into the third third week playing the Buffalo Bills. As it is, the Washington defense, which is supposed to be their strength, got shredded. They got shredded by Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers, and they got shredded by Daniel Jones, who up to, before this game was 4-0 and as a starter against the Washington football team. When they were named the Redskins, he won. When they were named the football team, he won. 4-0. In fact, half of his victories as a starter are against Washington. Somehow or another, the Washington defense has managed to make this guy look like a Hall of Famer. When he plays Washington, he's a Hall of Famer. When he plays the rest of the league, eh, uh questionable. But you get the but – but sometimes it, it's it's an interesting aspect because this was a game they should have won, and they gave the game away. And the question will come back, you know, and certainly in the case of Washington, they they have a tough schedule, and they're getting ready to play yet another – playoff team from last year in the Buffalo Bills who have a very good quarterback in in Josh Allen and by the way who you know uh, had a nice game last Sunday so uh, you know the fate of Washington so the fate of Washington going into the season this was one of those games where they needed this more than the Giants in the sense that they can't you know they have to win games like this for the rest of the year. If you have a game you you need to win, this is that game. Because they got a tough schedule. They got to play Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. They got to play the Chiefs. They got to play Buffalo. Just to name your three teams. Oh yeah, and they also have to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, with Tom Brady. So this is a schedule that you can't afford too many mistakes. Plus, the Dallas Cowboys look like they're playing well. Well. You get the point. Or maybe the point would be in this. Sometimes I see things, the second life, the second lesson of life in sports here is this. Sometimes a little thing is a difference between winning and losing. In the Battle of Midway, in the Battle of Midway, five minutes out of an entire battle determined the fate of the Japanese Navy and the Pacific War in World War II. The Japanese fleet had already bombed the Midway Island. They now realized that uh, the American carriers are out there. The first American wave failed miserably, didn't hit anything. But in a period but the second wave in a period of five while the Japanese Navy is getting ready to change over to attack the aircraft carrier. A second wave hits. In a period of five minutes, three of the four aircraft carriers the Japanese are destroyed. The fourth one will be destroyed later. And the fate of the Japanese Navy which landed to win that game. is hand is basically based on one guy lining up incorrectly in the neutral zone. Putting you know a couple of inches there, and the entire game changes. Giants go home the winner. Uh, we're going to talk very briefly about the Canadian election uh, election shortly after these breaks. This is Tom Donson Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio.
0: Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m. I shower. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
2: A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
1: Yes, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget you can listen to this show 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, every day on Pro. You want to call in tonight, 646 130 And don't forget, uh, we'll be followed on this network by You and the Law tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, on the line, as I promised, Dr. Larry. Dr. Larry, how you doing?
3: I'm doing just great.
1: Well, good. Uh, I, what, I brought you on the show, but you know, I brought you on the show. Uh, not so much to talk politics per se, but you—you you are a guy who's had a lot of experiences in different ways, and I wanted to kind of, you know, have you talk about, you know, your successes, the lessons you've learned throughout your life in the different variants uh, of you know, things you've done. First of all, you are a businessman, so. Tell us a little bit about the businesses you've been involved in <laughs> uh well uh,
3: my first uh, my first serious business uh, adventure was peddling uh, papers when i was a kid um <laughs> uh, the uh, but when i uh was a i was teaching let's see what was i was a um uh, I was a dean, and then I uh, I started a college in Kansas City, and um, while I was doing that, and it turned out to be uh, really very 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 unorthodox, but very successful. Um, we uh, the, the the rest of the college was not very successful, and they they had been a Presbyterian college by. Uh, by choice and the uh the current president of the main campus had been um a uh he had decided <clears throat> to make a deal with the uh
1: uh
3: reorganized Latter-day Saints and um they would then take over the uh that campus and so then the the question was what would happen to my campus uh because uh, we we were actually doing pretty well and and he was uh in the the uh, the mother college was in deep deep trouble and uh, so uh i kind of stretched my uh uh wings and tried to uh tried to survive uh uh be and and actually, it turned out that one of my best friends on the board was uh, Carl, Dr. Carl Menninger. I don't know if you remember him. He was the, yeah, he was they, called, uh, the yeah, he called the father of, of, the of psychiatry, yeah,
1: and yeah, uh, to his, his w- Topeka, to, 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 to Kansas.
3: Yeah, Topeka, Kansas, exactly. And
1: uh, yeah.
3: his wife was on the when uh, on the board of the old uh, of the other college, and and. Uh, so they called me and asked me uh, what they should do, and uh, so I I said well, and I I, I had uh, what they wanted. What they really wanted was they wanted me to take over the main campus and see you know see pull see if I could pull it out, and I I've, I'd I've been fighting that. I fought that that. Battled about uh, two years before I went and started my own college, and uh, so I, I really didn't feel that I could give it. That I I didn't see how how it could be done, and keep my own college going. So I I told them, you know, you're going to have. I think you're going to have to give in. Of course, they were staunch Presbyterians. So that's how. Then so then the Latter Day Saints came in. And the first thing they wanted to do was to take over my campus, and I, I said, well, you know, <clears throat> I don't think that's uh, that's a very good uh, solution to your problems. And uh, they, all they could see was the cash that was coming in. I was, ma- <laughs> I was actually making money, and you know, you don't do that very often in the in the uh, academic world, especially the nonprofit world, but. Um, they then made a, um, a, a they ex- executed a sort of a coup um, a coup d'état <clears throat> over the uh, both colleges and and I just I couldn't I really couldn't stay there so I um, I got I, I I was getting calls from various people to do various things because it was known that. That uh, I was at odds with the, I mean here I am you know a poor little old Catholic uh, in a in a Mormon situation it was not very uh, it was just not very not a very good fit so one one uh, I got a call from Baltimore from a guy who who's who, <laughs> who's tenure i had denied <laughs> so i don't know exactly how that happened but he he recommended me anyway for a job with controlled data and um uh, so i he, i called the guy he told me to call and and he said uh where are you now i said kansas city missouri he said can you be here tomorrow at uh at one o'clock I said where he said Baltimore I said well okay let's try it so I got into the I got into a, a, a flight and I, by George I made it I, it was almost my wife couldn't figure out what was going on um, but that's how I got into business and it turned out that they uh, had they were trying to field a uh, the, the first real um, uh computer assisted uh instruction a package called plato and they were looking for academics who could uh, uh uh who could actually uh help them uh introduce this to the academic community and um uh, so i had to i had the interview with a guy and and he was the senior vice president and uh so uh, he said, "Well, when we we talked for a while and, and he found out kind of some things that uh, I'd done." And and he had this other guy, Armstrong, was uh, telling him all the time how great I was. So, um, so then all of a sudden he stops asking me questions. He says, "Well, when can you start?" I said, "Well, um, I uh, I think I'm I'm." um i don't know exactly i'm i'm pretty uh pretty loose right now he said how about tomorrow morning i said well i, I don't i don't know if i can do that uh, i mean i've got you know i've got a family in kansas city and and i've got he said well he said, how about noon, then, if you can't start the first thing in the morning? <laughs> so, I said, so I said, okay, I'll tell you what. If my wife goes along with it, I'll uh, stay until the weekend anyway, and then we'll, and then, then we'll get going. So that, that's how I got into it. And then it turned out that we were supposed to have partners that were supposed to be what they called uh, an academic and a, and a businessman to put these learning centers together and they wanted to put the learning centers into into cities and then and they really wanted to put them into uh, colleges and and high schools and so uh my I had a I had a business I was considered an academic so they uh, I had a business partner and um uh, he was supposed to take care of all the you know the hard stuff I was supposed to demonstrate the The product and tell people how they could use it and help them get it started you know market support kind of stuff and uh so the i i spent this guy's name was earl and i spent Mm -hmm. about two uh two days with earl and and then suddenly earl wasn't around anymore and and by this time i had to go to to minneapolis instead of baltimore and um so after two days of not no Earl, I finally asked somebody, "What, where's Earl? And they said, well, he resigned. <laughs> so I said, oh, really? I said, well, who's uh, who's going to take his place? Well, we don't have anybody to take his place. I you think you can do the whole job? Uh, well, <laughs> I said, well, I guess I'll try. And, uh, you know, I've never said no yet. And uh, it turned out I I did pretty well. I, I uh i placed uh the first uh l- well then they gave me they gave me uh Cleveland Ohio as my headquarters and um so that was okay except that number one um they started treating me as um as a sales support guy who w- went to all of their all of their big accounts uh, they went to uh caterpillar and to um uh there were two or three uh big uh, communications companies and they kept kept calling me off of my job to go and support these guys And so I I really ended up going all over including Europe and and, and yet I was supposed to be making money in in Cleveland so um I decided that that wasn't going to work too well so I I made friends with uh the um uh, uh the uh institute in uh in um, uh in 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 uh, Cleveland, uh I mean not Cleveland but um, Columbus, Ohio. Uh with the guys that uh, had created the Xerox uh technology and they were considered the 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 uh you know the bleeding edge of, of technology. So I talked to the head of the head of technology into starting his own uh learning center right there in the institute. And that was the first one that anybody ever had sold. And so on the basis of that, they decided that uh, I needed to get into uh, uh, international marketing. And and they, they were running a string of uh, schools for uh, computer programmers. And so I got on the, um, I became the director of international projects and that meant that I I had to I had to take all these foreign assignments and but I I was also on the uh, the personal Bill Norris was the founder and the guy that uh, had um, a lot of the uh, well he was the guy that ran ran Control Data with really with an iron fist and I well, turned out, I thought, yeah.
1: Well, gotta on yeah we got to take a haven't break haven't we. We're going to take a quick break here. It's Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here uh, with Dr. Larry, and we're going to follow up when we come back. Uh, I want to kind of ask you some questions first on the lessons you you learned from running a college and doing that, as well as uh, other lessons, because it sounds like there's like five or six life lessons I can see right here, right now. Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Yeah, but know how, ladies and gentlemen, if you need to come to cars and also if you need to be entertained on the sports world and and have just a nice place to have a couple of drinks and a couple of shakes and see all the football games you ever want to see. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Here we're back here at the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network, and we also, again, if you want to uh, listen to this show and other great shows, you go to the following: the Bachelor News dot Airtime dot Pro, the News dot Airtime dot Pro, and you can get a listen to this show anytime uh, on twice a day, for example, at uh, at ten a.m. and 3 p.m. East, uh, 3 p.m. every day. Pardon me, 3 p.m. 10 a.m. and 3 3 p.m. Sorry, I'm gonna. uh, uh, Every day, we get the Dawson files, and also the Dawson files is will be followed on our schedule, the Bachelor News Radio Network by the Bachelor News Radio Network, as well as you and on law. So, so so 3 p.m. Central Time, 10 a.m. Central Time every day. Dawson files on the BachelorNews.AirTime.pro. Here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, we're back talking with Dr. Larry. Okay, here's the, uh, first of all, number one, lesson one, you know, listening to your story is, first of all, why was your portion of the college a success and everybody else? Was, you know, what did they not do that you were doing to make your side a success?
3: well it was the uh, financial model basically and um uh, i i i had some uh advantages uh i i went to that school as a uh, vice president and dean of the college and be, before very long i, I uh, ended up having to take over fundraising as well so in in that role um i went out to get some uh, federal money because there were a lot of uh, a lot of federal programs that I thought you know would be possible, and I'd never done that before. But I tried, decided to try it, and uh, I I scored, and I got I got about three million dollars um, from uh, the Department of Education, which was kind of a surprise to me and everybody else. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that gave me a good start, and then because of because of that kind of funding, I was able to, uh, do some experimenting and it turned out that, um, I, I developed, uh, a, a, a whole new, uh, pattern of, uh, uh, the, the, the business model was basically that we didn't have any classes and, uh, it was sort of mo- modeled more on the, uh, Oxford model of, uh, having some, um, uh seminars i mean uh you know seminars and and a lot of individual work and we beat uh, team people up uh, with the uh with the people in the community and so we saved a lot of money on faculty to begin with and, and then i just i just hired uh, professors from the various colleges and universities around town to sit on the uh, boards for uh granting the the uh, the the uh the uh degrees and and um so i didn't have to pay you know any tenure or any of that so it turned out that uh and then i just had a one blank um uh amount of money that that everybody everybody paid the same amount for each year and um and that was our budget, so we just lived within it. And so, when the money from the feds ran out, we uh, we had a we had a profitable operation going. So the seed money gave us no question about it; gave us a a chance to experiment. Um, and that's how we made money. But
1: okay, uh, let me yeah yeah I want to pause this. because you kind of make a very interesting because you use a totally different model than what we. In a typical college, seminars, uh, in, right. in effect. So, uh, now was this in the classroom? Yeah. So this, so basically, you were using a totally different aspect of teaching. That's number one. Number two, you pretty much had a limited number of professors, and uh, and so maybe the question I'm going to throw back to you is: Okay, you look at today's college scenes. You know, are we over flooded with college professor administrative staff that inflates the price of colleges? And how would your model work today uh, if one was incorporated through the majority of colleges? Or could it work today? Go ahead.
3: Well, it would, it would work very well because um, I, I didn't – I had very, very few um, full-time faculty. I mean, I really didn't have – I didn't have any real full time faculty, what I did is I had a cadre of um uh, what I called academic advisors and they they were faculty qualified people with with doctorates and, and publications and so on but but they didn't they didn't go to class and they didn't and my overhead was way way be i mean each one of them carried a load of maybe 15, uh, oh fifteen twenty sometimes uh, more students because you know the students were you had to by the way you had to be 25 to get in so i didn't have any kids coming out of high school and uh then i also had a lot of uh, every every almost all of the students had uh to work with uh either their own company or or some other um some other venture that was pretty much uh, associated with with the uh, expert, the uh, the the uh, expert in the community. Well, for example, I had a I had a woman that was interested in oral history, so I uh, I put her in touch with the oral history uh, professor or at the head of oral history at the Truman Library, which which is in Independence, Missouri, which is just you know a few miles yeah. from Kansas City. And so she worked with him, and you know, I I asked if 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 he, if he would, you know, I told him we'd pay you we'd pay you a stipend, and, and he said, oh no, uh, I I'm already on I already have a job and I already get paid, and and I consider this part of my job. So I got a full professor for nothing, and uh, the same way, I had, I had a another girl that was interested in uh, long in management at. Uh, uh, at uh, Hallmark, and so I made a deal with her supervisor. First of all, I never, I would not let any um, anybody that worked in the company to have have their boss, their director, report as as a uh, as their major professor. They uh, that's too much too much leverage. So um, I had usually had the boss's boss. Uh, as the guy that was uh, their major professor, so she she worked for the the uh, senior vice president for uh, for uh, industrial planning, and ended up uh, became a a, a major uh, player in the in the company after she graduated. So I mean that. Then I had another one that that wanted to do uh, dance uh, therapy, so I put her together with the Menninger Clinic. And uh, Roy Menninger is uh, uh, who was running it. Uh, he was running it at the time, and he took a personal interest. I didn't have to pay him. He was at, she actually. They together they developed a, a book on it and a whole a whole field of therapy. And she became a national figure, international really. So I mean, that's the way I did it. All right.
1: Well, I let like, that's kind of a, okay. All right, So basically. You were taking people who are in their second careers or just starting careers, and they wanted to open up their and expand on what they were doing. So you kind of hooked them up with local, you know, with local professors or local people who could teach on the ropes of what they needed to learn. So in effect, they were learning what they needed to learn. Uh, what kind of degrees were was available at your school?
3: Well, um, I took I, I redefined. I started. I started out the whole program with 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 the redefinition of, of um, uh, what is what is a degree, and a degree, as I defined it, was um, a public uh, uh, a public announcement that this person has a uh, has achieved the uh, ex- the normally expected. Uh, knowledge and skills associated with with this with a particular uh discipline or or skill or art or whatever it was um and and then it was up to us to they had to prove i started off the whole the whole program with all right you it's, you're gonna have to spend at least a year and maybe more with our school to get your degree because uh we have to get to know that you really know what you're what you say you know. And so what what how do you choose a major? You choose a major by by saying what do what do you know now? and what would you like to know that you don't know? And so that's how we started with what we call the academic plan. The the third part of it was now what how are you going to learn what you don't know and that's why that's when we needed the experts because they would they would then guide these uh people to uh the the they they sort of invented their own curriculum uh with the help of the uh, of the experts and so when they they had to produce something that was tangible like either a book or a thesis or a painting or um like in the case of the therapy, that the, she had a whole documented handbook of how you do fan dance therapy, um, and then that would be the basis for for we bring in the external panel of professor of experts, and they would look at the uh, they'd look at the product, and they'd look, they would interrogate the student, and if they uh, gave gave that person the staff uh, a pass, then they that was. That was the gradu- that was the graduation, so we put all those people together about once a year, and we had a graduation
1: okay now would you say they had a bachelor's degree or how would you define the degree? yeah it'd be, this
3: is all for a bachelor's degree um, okay it, it and and it very it, it became though as we went along it became very these people got into conventional graduate uh graduate programs in general they knew more about their area of expertise than a lot of the teachers did. So they really breezed through the the master's degree. And then when it came to doctorate, the number of them, number of them got doctors. But they, for them it was easy because it was exactly the same kind of thing that they had done to get their bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. All
1: right, okay. So you know, let me put it. If somebody was to say to you, know, say to you, uh, you know, here's the one Here's what I'm getting from what you're, the experience you are talking about, because you're redefining education in the sense that, you know, people are learning what they want to learn, what they need to learn to progress. Now, most of the, these are all students who are, are adults, so they've already had their life experience. You know, they've had their share of life experiences. They're already working, and now they want to expand what they need to know. And so, in effect, you are tailoring that education to
3: the individual, yep, that's what I call personalized education and, okay. and we in the process, we invented what what became we called it the portfolio method, but we had we told them they had to document what they already knew, and that was um the, uh if they had transcripts from uh other colleges that they had gone to, if they had gone to professional education if they had uh, achieved a certain uh, if they'd written uh written something like a handbook or um gotten uh awards for uh performance in the military we had a lot of military people um particularly air force because Richard Kubauer Air Force base was just down the road right. um so they had to put all that together into what we call the portfolio and and then that portfolio was uh, evaluated by this by an external another external panel usually three guys sometimes only one depending on what it was uh, and then that from that they built the they built they built they filled in the cracks and and, and got the other stuff
1: now hold on a this time about the files here ambassador of Radio network uh, we're listening to dr. Larry uh, who's expounded upon many, the many things he has done in his life and the experiences he has and the experiences uh, we can learn from those things. This is Tom Donaldson, The Donaldson File.
4: You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from
0: Feeding America and the Ad Council.
5: I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots.
0: I'm not tired. We're all healthy. My asthma's under
5: control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids
0: are too old the for flu. The media is
5: exaggerating. I can fight it naturally.
6: No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation
7: strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov.
0: A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Back with Don Stiles here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Also, if you want to listen to this show, you can listen every day uh, at 10 a.m. Central Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, or... 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Let me spell that bachelor for you. That's B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R news. So bachelornews.airtime.pro. And don't forget tonight, uh, following this show on this network, it's you and the law I'm taking a look at a different perspective from two experienced police officers two experienced police chiefs who talk about the perspective of both from a black and Brown and people of color and how they, how the law can work for them. You and the law with those individuals. So stay tuned on this network. And plus you can listen to the repeats of those shows on the bachelor news. Dot pro. And don't forget tomorrow night, uh, The Donaldson Files will have the Wednesday Resistance Edition. Uh, We've got some special guests possibly coming on. So we'll surprise you at the 6 p.m. Eastern time. And also the Resistance Hour featuring uh, Dr. Larry, why don't you kind of tell everybody what's going on tomorrow night on the Resistance Hour?
3: Well, we have uh, Ambassador Jim Gilmore, who is also a former governor of Virginia, uh, who just spent the last uh, 3 years in, uh as the uh American uh ambassador to the NATO Defense Council and uh uh so he is uh, we're, we're asking him to talk about uh the current foreign policy and uh what is good what's bad and so on and uh then we also have uh uh, Congressman, former Congressman Bob Livingston, who, is, who was the uh, Speaker of the House for a while and, and also the head of the uh, Budget Committee that uh, provided the last uh, balanced budget uh, in American uh, history. And uh, so he's going to talk more about what's happening in Washington and how does it relate to uh, the rest of the story. So it's going to be a pretty interesting hour because... <laughs> They've got these guys are real pros.
1: Absolutely, we've had them both on the show many times, so uh, and they're worth always to listen. If another you know, first for the historical perspective, and plus uh, in the case of uh, Ambassador Gilmore, what he's already you know he's hit he's not that far removed from the foreign policy apparatus. So that will be tomorrow night. All right. All right. Okay. Now we talk about portfolio education, personalized education. Uh I wanna kinda of move to your, some of your business side because the the one lesson there's a lesson here to be learned and that is sometimes opportunities presents itself. And certainly your introduction to data control was you know, somebody said, You know, this is the guy you gotta talk to You know, so somebody opened that door for you. Yeah and you took advantage and you took advantage. So kind of talk a little bit about you know, sometimes how, you know, doors can be open for you if you keep your eyes open. And also, in some ways, if you maintain friendship with people, even though, you re, you know, if I, if I remember the story, Frank, as you just stated, he, uh, you know, he was a guy that you said he my tenure. Oh, fired. I fired yeah. him. <laughs> I
3: mean, I got him fired. Um, <laughs> I never could figure that out exactly, but. He just um, he 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 was still loyal to me, even in spite of the fact that I, I uh, reluctantly had to had to let him go because he just wasn't doing the job. So
1: well, no, <laughs> well Maybe the point would be you may have, he may, you may have also done him a favor because obviously he moved on to somewhere else where he was successful and recommended you for that position.
3: Yeah. Well, and I guess one of the things I I learned, or I guess I knew was you know you never don't don't ever uh, uh try to get ahead by stepping on the shoulders of the people that are around you um just just you know try to be nice to everybody uh you never know when somebody's gonna turn out to be a real friend or uh help you and you may need him sometime or you may uh you need you may have a chance to help him um I've always tried to be nice to people, and, uh, and not, not sometimes I haven't succeeded, but but basically um, I try never to make any, even when you had to fire people, you know, you try to make it as humane as possible.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, because that's, again, it's an interesting point. The other thing that comes into play here is that it sounds like to me uh, you, have, you kind of shaped that job. Because they had you in Cleveland, and then you came to the conclusion, you had to have some international, you know, they were asking you to do some international business. So you had to make some changes while on the job. So oh. the, question I'm throw, yeah, the question I'm going to throw back to you would be, Is okay, you know, at, like in any business, you know, their opportunity presents itself. So how did you, in effect, make those changes uh. and present those opportunities? to others around you.
3: Well, I guess you know you you have to um, you have to be aware of of the environment that you're in. And you, you know there there's there's I've always felt like like the key to good management is it's to some extent the key to any kind of relationship is to understand your your own limitations and then to recruit to your weakness um if you if you are if you're a good salesman but you're not very good at at, at the financial side of things then look for somebody that's that is that's that's really you know you, what you need is an accountant you don't need another sales guy um and the same way in your in your personal relationships also you know, you shouldn't be uh, crass about it, but when everybody that you talk to knows something you don't know, and it's it's to, it's always I always felt it's better to listen than it is to talk. Now, that people that are hearing me tonight are going to say you sure don't you sure don't believe in that very strongly on Tom's uh, radio show, but um, most of the time. You know I I, I I ask questions rather than than answer questions you you kind of got well, you know, me on the other fair. side right now
1: <laughs> yeah well here's the, here's the point because that's a very interesting part because you know like I said I work as a plug on run a political organization I also pretty much I'm um, the project director for a foundation and a lot of times when I go meet with donors or supporters you know will I'll tell them very clearly I said look I'm you know, when I meet with my staff, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. And what I mean by that is, I you know, I hire people who know what they're doing. Or I work with people who know what they're doing. They have, and I give them the authority to do what they need to do. But I also pick people who, quite frankly, you know, they, you know, and you've made a very interesting point. You know, I, you know, you, you, you make the point, I said, you know, hire to your weakness hire people that can strengthen what it is you do and as opposed to you know you know, again hire another salesman but you basically say okay you hire people who can add to the company and add to your job and and I did and I've done and I've been in that same position as well it and, and I always will say to people look you know, I don't have any problems hiring people who are knowledgeable and things I'm not knowledgeable about that's why I want to bring them on uh, one of the, the most important lessons in, in leadership that I've learned, and, and I'm going to ask you, you know, I'm going to give you a comment on this, is, you know, I, I've i had bosses that, quite frankly, would micromanage me. I mean, they literally would micromanage me. And then I had bosses that would say, okay, give me your game plan, and, and, and then and then execute it. Uh, the one guy I had, who was a micromanager, was somebody why aren't you selling to this hospital here, doing this and doing that? And I said to him, well, for one thing, I could do that. But if you notice, while I may be losing 10% of my sales in this 10% of my business, the 40% over here, I'm up 40%. The 20% over here, I'm up 30%. And let me ask you this question, where do you want me to spend my time? Uh, On the other side of the equation, I remember... Starting the year, we had a rough. I had a rough three or four months right off the start of the year. I was looking at the data. I called my boss and I said, "Look, you know that business plan I sent you? I want to make some changes. I want to allocate my resources in this way." And he said to me, "Well, cool. That's a good idea." And then he said, "Don't worry, Tom. I've always got your back because I know you've been successful in the past. You'll be successful in the future." And 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 I thought that I was in it because the second boss. Yeah, you know, we. I worked with this guy for years, you know, for a couple of years, and he knew my strength, my talent, and he also knew that, you know, and he was the kind of guy. I guess somebody say, "Boy, I made this mistake. Now, here's how I'm going to rectify it." He said, "Go do it. I trust you." And, and and the one lesson to me that I've always come back with is this: uh, on the micromanaging side of the equation, if I have to micromanage and do your job, in addition to being your manager. I hired the wrong person. Your thoughts. Yeah, and
3: you run into that a lot because people misrepresent themselves and and it's it's, it's getting harder and harder to get a, a a really truthful reference. You know, it used to be you could call somebody that <clears throat> that used to work with with a, a particular person. And you could say, you know, what is he good at, and what is he not so good at? You get a, you would get a truthful answer. I mean, maybe maybe you ended up years later not agreeing with a guy, but he was he was telling you what he really thought. Nowadays, you call somebody, and they they will just say he worked for us, and uh, he left, and uh, he was here for this many years or months or whatever it was. And you're not you're, you, all you're getting is factual information that you could see from a a a, a vitae or something, and and yeah. the reason that that is because they're afraid of getting sued, and um, mm-hmm. so it's very hard to really find out exactly what somebody can do. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now you're also a farmer, right? you have a horse farm, and yes. so let me. So let me put it this one: What lessons, you know, what is about the farming you like? You know, is there a lesson dealing with farming, the horse farming, that let's say that you've learned? Is there anything you could sit back and say to people? You know, here's what I learned. Here's what I like.
3: Well, there's a lot to be learned. We we um, we recently had a had a change of personnel because my uh barn manager of twenty five years retired and uh my daughter took over and uh, she brought in all these young people i mean their their uh, our staff now is is basically uh kids that are between about seventeen and twenty two and and um to about half of the three or four of them really don't know much about horses. And they—they're t- taking the job to find out about horses, and and what do you what what, what good is it to, to know about horses? <laughs> um, that's definitely debatable. But um, one of the things I think that is very uh, uh, very apropos, and that is, you remember, horses don't really talk talk in language in, in language like we do there there's all almost all um body language and if you if you learn how to read a horse's body language you can you can essentially communicate with that horse because he's watching you just like you're watching him uh, and that but that surprisingly translates very well to a lot of human situations and you get used to watching people's reactions uh physical reactions uh just because you're used to watching horses um but it's amazing how much you can, <laughs> how much you can learn about people by by just reading their their uh their their body language if people it's it's amazing how much they tell you not not by their their words so much as just the way they they sit or the way they stand up or the way there's expression on their face or their uh, you know, they got the guy who's continually moving out to try to get out of something, and it's uh, that's one thing, and I, that's a small area, really. I think the biggest, the, the big thing is that you you get very um, related. You can, it's kind of like the same thing that you can get with a dog, you know, or another pet, and that is, you get very uh, attuned to another creature, and and those creatures are not only uh, different from us, they are a different species from us. And and trying to cross species in some kind of uh communicative uh approach is is really a challenge but if you challenge if you if you um, can master that, uh not only do can you have a lot of fun, but you can also um it, it's it's a it just puts a different dimension to your uh to your life. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Right. Well, like I said, we're kind of running a little bit out of time. Uh, we're getting to the last two or three minutes. Uh, so, uh, but uh, how did you get into horse farming to begin with? You know, what inspired you to do that?
3: Well, my I grew up on a farm, and my dad liked horses, so he gave he got horses for us. Well, for all of us, and uh, we had to. When I was 12 years old, I was breaking horses for riding, uh, under the direction of of a riding master. But still, I had to do the work, and uh, I I just I just uh, grew up, you know, loving horses. I guess. Um, Then for 30 years, I didn't I didn't touch a horse, and then my daughter uh, came along one day and said. uh, You, you know, my uh, your your Christmas present to me is going to be to teach me how to ride a horse, and uh, so that began a whole new. I I rediscovered horse riding. That sounds good. I'm going
1: to stop you right there. Yeah, this is Tom Downs Donaldson Files. We're going to wrap this show up. Thank you very much, Doctor Larry, for joining us. Don't, Don't forget tomorrow, Donaldson Files: The Resistance Edition. In addition to, will be on the Resistance Hour with uh, Bob Livingston and with uh, Ambassador James Gilmore Um uh, the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night.
0: charges in an Elijah McClain case. Three officers and two paramedics indicted in in the 2019 death of the young black man who died after being put in a chokehold while walking home from a convenience store. Marcus Moore has the latest. Good morning, Marcus.
5: Michael, good morning. These indictments come two years after Elijah McClain, who was unarmed, died following an altercation with police, and there had been loud calls for justice, and now comes this development. This grainy body camera video captures portions of Elijah McLean's last moments alive. Police confronted the 23-year-old as he walked home alone from a grocery store two years ago. McLean died after a struggle with the officers. Now this morning, three policemen and two paramedics face criminal charges for the young man's death.
4: Our goal is to seek justice for Elijah McLean,
2: for his family and friends, and for our state.
4: I've been praying for all of it. Um, what I want, My son fought for his life and dead for his life.
5: The Colorado grand jury indictment detailing the 32 total counts levied against the officers and first responders, including manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. On August 24, 2019, three Aurora police officers responded to a 911 call about a masked man acting suspiciously.
4: Hey, stop right there. Stop. 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 I have a right to stop you because you're being suspicious.
5: McLean's family later explained that he suffered from a blood condition that often made him feel cold. Stop no, tensing up. No, no, let go of Stop me. Of well. No, I am an introvert
4: respect the boundaries that I am
5: speaking. Officers tackling McLean, then putting him in a carotid chokehold, which restricts blood flow to the brain. McLean pleading with can him, him he is non ur- I'm so no sorry, I no don't
1: I don't do
5: that stuff, I don't do that At one point, even crying out three words that have become rallying cries against police brutality. The officers later claiming that the 23-year-old had reached for one of their guns. And prosecutors say this was a critical moment. Paramedics arriving at the scene and injecting McLean with what prosecutors say was a lethal amount of a powerful anesthetic ketamine. The Aurora Police Association defending the officers, saying in a statement to ABC News, there is no evidence that APD officers caused his death. The hysterical overreaction to this case has severely damaged the police department.
1: This police department needs to be disbanded and rebuilt from the ground up.
5: McLean's death gained national attention during the months of protests following the police killing of George Floyd. Since then, Colorado has banned the use of chokeholds and bars paramedics from using ketamine to subdue suspects. Now McLean's family wants their son to be remembered as a gentle young man who had a bright future.
4: He was a giver, giver of love, giver of whatever he can to make you feel better,
0: even if he's not feeling good
5: family members also said that that elijah used to play the violin at the animal shelter hoping they would not feel lonely that's the kind of guy he was and as we mentioned before uh, guys there were calls very loud calls for justice and the family believes that these indictments are indeed a step to that end guys
0: what a story that yeah, is tragic
6: hey we want to welcome every- we want to welcome everyone to you and the law podcast show on the bachelor news radio network. Uh, we just listened to a, uh, a recording uh, from ABC news in reference to, uh, the Elijah McClain uh, death that took place in 2019. And, uh, you, you know, Keith, I tell you, man, it, to listen to I've listened to this video over and over again, but to listen to it and to talk about it it just it, there is just so many things took place so many things so many wrong things took place uh with the police officers and this uh and, and Elijah uh on that on that night and you know Keith for you know I you know being in uh in a, as a police chief administrator, you got to do things that your city attorneys tell you not to do or not to say, but at, at some point, Keith, you know, you just got to do the right thing. And because I just, me personally, Keith, I could not live with myself to say that these officers didn't do anything wrong that contributed to this young man's death. Um, and, and, and to live with yourself knowing that you you have to have known that these officers and paramedics played a significant role in this young man's death. Well,
7: I will tell you, Virgil, I think what happens is that people believe that I didn't pull the trigger and that's, uh, so I didn't contribute. Um, uh, I think the entire stop from the beginning was was questionable, and I think that the actions of all those individuals involved are are questionable, uh, and 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 um, you know I just it, it, it's perplexing to me to to understand why um, nobody sees that. I mean, why, yeah. you know, why, why, why did you even approach the young man in the first place? I mean, I guess that's one of the things that you have to understand that I, that well, I want to understand.
6: Yeah, well, and Keith, and you know, initially they said that someone called nine one one, saying that he was walking down the street and he looked as suspicious. Um, and even the officer says in the on the body cam footage, that he was suspicious. We stopped you because you looked suspicious. I mean, so once again, how many times uh, does a young black male or a young black female walking down the street, why do you have to look suspicious? And I think that's why so many people have been in such a in an outrage because we got officers who know how to use certain language and that certain language is going to be able to articulate what they do. And this is the reason that they did it. I mean, there's just no, no, way around it. I mean, guys know how to say certain words and they'll say, well, I said this here. Well, yeah, you did. You're right. And so, but here's a young man who was went to the store to get his brother some iced tea and he's walking back home. But days later, he dies from an apparent heart attack contributed by this here uh, encounter with these officers. But, Keith, one of the things that's, that's really disturbing is the fact that they called the paramedics to inject him with this, if I'm pronouncing it right, ketamine?
7: I, I mean, think that's correct.
6: Yeah, so when when... I have never in over 25 years in law enforcement ever heard of paramedics being called to inject a citizen with ketamine and that this ketamine, you don't know what you're putting into somebody's body. And, and Keith, we're probably going to have some people listening to the show is going to say, well, this is why I don't want to take the vaccine because I don't know what's in the vaccine. So, how do you know what's in this ketamine? I, I mean, that was very disturbing to know that these guys—they specifically called the paramedics for them to inject him with this here uh, ketamine.
7: Well, I, I, I will tell you, man. I I, I just don't get it. Uh, I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand. How you do that. And I I guess I'm just trying to understand the the reason for injecting this young man with something. And and uh uh first time I ever heard of that was um in this case. And I still, well, well, still, me still too. trying to figure out what was he doing that was so suspicious walking home from purchasing a drink for his for his brother. I mean, what was that what was so yeah. suspicious about that?
6: Yeah, I I mean, again, you just got these you know, in a and I want our listeners to know, Keith, that, you know, this case is going to be tried in front of a, a jury. We're not trying to be the, the the judge and the jury in this case. We're just talking about the circumstances around this case and the fact that this is not the only case that uh, has similar similarities to other things that have happened. Um, but no no matter what age you are Keith you should not lose your life he was unarmed he wasn't uh be, you know they're saying he was being combative but as you hear him say in the tape Keith I'm just different mm-hmm. Keith man we're so we're going to come we're coming up on our first break but we're going to take this break and uh we're going to come back and we're going to get into the conversation of the the story behind the Elijah McClain death in Aurora, Colorado, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
2: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty.
1: Welcome
4: to UNLR on the Basta News Radio Network. WCLM in Chapel Hill, and, of course, uh, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. Uh, this is the UN of Law broadcast with uh, Chief Chief Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green. If you have a question, uh, you can hit us up in the chat room. Uh, you can listen or ask that at 646 or listen live at our website, the thebachelornews.airtime.co. With that, go back to the Chiefs in charge, Chief Chief Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green. Well, hey, Chief, you know,
6: uh, we're talking about the the recent uh, charges that have came down uh, that involves the um, officers and paramedics in the uh, Elijah McClain's death that occurred in 2019 in Aurora, Colorado. So, Recently, the grand jury handed down a 32-count a indictment that involves three police officers and, I believe, two paramedics. Um, and, you know, Keith, I think this, when this young man's uh, death occurred, not a lot of people really knew about Elijah McClain and, until the incident happened with George Floyd. And then people started talking about Elijah McClain. But the, prose- the prosecutor in the case, Keith, basically said that there wasn't any – evidence due to the fact that the autopsy could not determine the manner of death, that he was not filing any charges against the police officer. But so you had multiple – investigations behind this here and it actually took the governor of of Colorado to step in and to order order the district attorney to open up a new criminal investigation.
7: You know, I, I don't get what the hesitation is um to do that. It's the right thing to do. Uh, I don't get what that hesitation is. I mean, when you, when someone loses their life uh, while in custody of law enforcement, man, that's serious. And even even if it was a, um, I don't like to say justified, but even if if they determined that there was reasonable reason for the the force to be used, uh, that's still investigated. Those cases still need to go before. Um, the a grand jury or the prosecuting attorney it, it's, you we're not in a position these days to say, well, we're not, it looks fine. We're not going to, we're not going to look into it. It's closed. It's a closed deal. It was justified. Let's move forward. We're not in that position mm-hmm. anymore. And so for them to say that, you know, it comes down to, I thought of the, the Brianna Taylor situation where you had um, the, the prosecuting attorney, just outright left out information to the grand jury. Um,
4: mm-hmm. The
7: situation in, in Georgia, uh, the suburb of Georgia, the young man that was, I believe it was Georgia, the young man was just walking, running through the neighborhood, and, and he was attacked by uh, two guys. And, you know, the prosecutor there didn't want to, I mean, tried to, tried to hide the case and then and yeah. passed it on to another prosecutor. And then... Tried to figure out, okay, how can we keep this from going to trial or whatever? I mean, what's what's up with that, man? Why, you know, why why do people think that that's right?
6: Well, and, and you know, Keith, and I think this is the thing. <laughs> uh, people, there's there's definitely some entitlement, and you know, and it's sad to say that Keith, uh, because we're we're in law enforcement, and the fact that for me, Keith, you just have to acknowledge the facts. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't kind of, you know, say, well. But when you look at every single thing, there are some entitlements, and some people will probably will not agree with what I just said. Uh, But at the end of the day, when you're talking about when a young man loses his life because he was walking home from a store at night, in the cold, had on a ski mask, uh, and he has obviously a medical issue that the reason why he's wearing this type of ski mask, but he's not bothering anybody. But you feel that you've got to make up a reason to justify why you stopped him and to question him. But one of the things that came out in one of these investigations, Keith, is that uh, the Attorney General's office conducted a civil rights investigation into the agency. So one of the things that came out is that they were very critical of this agency because there was no evidence to justify the officer stopping this young man as he walked home. So, again, you've got another law enforcement agency, the highest law enforcement agency in your state, who is very critical and says there's no evidence to support why you are, there's no evidence that justified why you stopped this young man as he was walking home. So, again, you've got police officers who feel like, well, hey, you're walking down the street, this is my city street, Again, you, you, you've heard that term before, right, Keith? My city street. This is my street. So I got the right to stop you. No, you don't.
7: You know, Virgil, it goes back to uh, the badge having a lot of authority, and um, you know, when you when you put that authority with egos and and uh, arrogance. Uh, you know that can happen, and, and we're talking about any police officer. We talk about officers, not not all police officers, but we're talking about it. Doesn't matter what that officer looks like. Uh, they, no. they, the, they, 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 their, the badge is heavy. Uh, the, the, the 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 cockiness is heavy, and and the fact that you do what I say, and nobody will get hurt, or or you do what I say, and and that's it. Period. Point blank. But. When does it become against the law for a young man to walk in cold? For him to have a, a, a mask on or, you know, when they sell those things. Um mm-hmm. and you know, could you get out and talk to him, say, Hey, where you going? Everything okay? Absolutely. Um but, you know, this is a young man that had mm-hmm. some form of 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 uh, some some form of um, you know, mental illness. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not against the law to be mentally ill, or, no. or to have a a learning disorder, or to be um, you know handicapped. Uh, that's not disabled or to be disabled. Yeah,
6: the, the disabled. Yeah. He called yeah. himself he called himself a introvert. Yeah, that's not no, against that's what, the
7: law. Yeah. yeah, you know that's that's not against the law, and and and, and we got to stop. Uh, Standing behind this, well, they look different, or you know, I fear for my safety, or you know, it's, um, well, you know, it's, uh, you look, you look out of place, or you know, you, 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 I just, I, I, you just didn't look right. Something didn't just, just look right. You know, why not just ask the young man? I don't have a problem with you talking to the young man. Hey, man, what's going on? You know, it says pretty good. I'm going. I'm picked up. Something for my brother to drink or whatever I'm on my way back from the store, yeah. um uh, and just going home, okay, man, you need anything all right we just sometimes you have those officers that just feel like they have to do something, they have to stay busy, they can't allow people to go on about their business. They feel as though if they do that, and this is what I've heard a lot of time, but what if he just robbed a store or what if he's going to yeah. rob a store? Well, I mean, I mean, how many people do you stop out here? That might have that intention that you never know about. So you, exactly. you can't. How I many? So you 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 can't always continue to use that as a. Uh, this job isn't hard. This job isn't difficult at all. It's really not that difficult to do the right thing. It's not. That but you can make it to use difficult. Common sense. You can make it extremely difficult when you don't want to be flexible and you feel as though you have to win all the time.
6: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith. I want to remind our listeners: if you just now tuning into to the show, the the um, chat room is open uh, at blogtalkradio.com dot com backslash La Bachelor. The uh, uh, producer is screening calls. If you got a comment, if you want to come on air, do so. Or if you want to just uh, send a, a a message in the chat room about the topic that we're talking about, the uh, the the story of Elijah McLean, please do so or come on the air and talk to us and let us know what's on your mind uh, about this topic. Um, But uh, Keith, it's just, you know, you know, there was an incident that happened back in, uh, I want to say Irving, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, either last year or year before last that we, we talked about on the, on the podcast, um, where young man was walking home from work. It was oh, Plano. You,
5: Plano. Plano, yeah, Plano,
6: yeah. And uh, walking home in the snow, and uh, that incident went way south real quick, just because of the officer's aggressive attitude toward this young man, and he clearly told him, "I'm fine. I don't need y'all. I don't need you. Leave me alone." But you got these guys. Well, no, we just want to check on you, and make sure. When somebody tells you they're fine, leave them alone, and you can see that they're walking down the street. They're not under the influence. I'm just going to say, well, sir, you have a good night, and how, hopefully how, you get how you home safely.
7: How, how do you know they're not under influence? How do you know they haven't done anything? Well, I'm playing well, devil's well, advocate. I'm just, I'm just well, playing the way so, some, so, some of these officers think. It, it, yeah, I agree and with so you, again,
6: yeah. But so again, you're gonna have guys say, "Well, how do you know that they're not under the influence?" Well, okay, you went through all this your training to de- to give you the ability to determine if this person it shows any signs that they are under the influence of alcohol. So well, when guys sit there and say, "Well, uh, I didn't know, and I had to do this, and I didn't know they you." And again, Keith, you got guys who will say, well, it's a law that you got to show me your ID. So the average citizen will say, I don't I don't even have my ID on me. So how am I going to show you something that I don't have?
7: Well, I, I had one uh, like this in, in one of my previous departments, and a guy was jogging, and uh, uh the officer questioned this man was actually jogging. He had actually left his uh, his house, and his wife was uh, uh, staying with the baby, uh, who had been who had been sick and had you know been crying all day. And so the mm-hmm. wife decided once she got the baby down for a nap, she was going to take her a sleeping pill and go to sleep. Now he's running, and the officer stops him and tells him he's got to get in the back of the car and then starts questioning him about the guys tell him, I live around the corner, I'm inside jogging. Why are you out here jogging this time of night? Um, uh, You know, uh, does your wife know you're out? You know, um, yeah, I just live right around the corner. Well, what's your name? Give him his name. Uh, Have you ever had a ticket? Man, I can't remember. I may have had one a few years ago. Why wouldn't you know the specific date you had a ticket? I mean, I can tell you every ticket I've gotten, why wouldn't you know when you got a ticket and it kind of went downhill from there
6: mm-hmm. and
7: he took the he took the guy home, so legally that guy was detained that guy that guy yeah. was not free to go, so you know mm-hmm. you talk about detention or you talk about arrest, that guy was not free to go and he pulls up in front yeah. of the guy's house and knocks on the you know and knocks on the door the wife is he's told the officer. That the wife's out. Are you? We gotta take a break, Bertie? Yeah, huh?
6: yeah, Keith. So, so yeah. Okay. Let us Just, take I'll this hold break that
7: and finish it. Yeah, I'll finish and we come back.
6: Okay. Well, hey, we're gonna take this break, but you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor
5: News Radio Network.
0: Dermarest, the Psoriasis Solution asks,
5: "What's complete freedom for me? It's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis.
0: Complete freedom." Brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest Psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest Psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow.
5: Healthy skin? That's complete freedom.
0: Dermarest, the psoriasis solution.
4: Welcome back to
0: the UN Law broadcast
4: on the Best of News Radio Network. Uh, uh, of course, you can listen live at dot Airtime. Pro, uh, or you can listen at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. Chat room is open as well. We got a couple of questions come in. Um, actually, one comment: Steve in Texas said, um, "With these repeat offenders, in terms of uh, uh, law enforcement agencies like Aurora." What does people expect um he's put in parentheses uh the two of you included. What do you expect? Um, uh, I got a uh, email from someone who's disabled that says that disabled Americans um are at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to equal rights, justice, and uh their dealings with police. Back to you
6: well. Hey Keith, we definitely want to thank Steve in Texas for listening, and for the other caller, for the other listener who sent an email about people with disabilities. Uh, but Keith, you you were uh, before the break. You had uh, was talking about a situation well, that happened.
7: Y- yeah, yeah, and and for over an hour, he's got this man in his car, and, and for of that hour, about twenty minutes, he's sitting out in front of this man's house berating this man because this man doesn't have his id uh because this man he knocks on the door the wife doesn't come to the door and he starts berating the man's wife basically what type of mother is she uh taking a sleeping pill and got a young baby and you know and you're out here doing you know god knows what and finally after an hour uh the man wants a supervisor supervisor comes over there and it was just it was bad and and so you know my thing is that when when do you you know is it not all right for a person to jog, uh, is it not all right for a person? to, And, and I get it, I, I get it. Uh, you know, suspicious activity, but what's suspicious? I think sometimes it's yeah. very subjective. Um, I think <laughs> I think it's subjective. I think sometimes we use that um, as a crutch, uh, you know. But but, but I it, think but you but have Keith, to, and it's also know, too broad. It's very broad, Virgil, and, and I will tell you that I, I, I've arrested uh, suspicious people before. Uh, you know, coming out of a dark alley, uh, two o'clock in the morning. You know, with, with dark clothing on and, and uh, shining a flashlight. I think people understand that.
5: Uh, mm-hmm. Arrest oh, a lot yeah. of
7: people just walking down the street. You know, you get somebody had a lot of rash of vehicle burglaries, and you get a guy, get a person. Uh, you know, hoodie on. Uh, carrying a black bag or carrying a, a, a car radio, I think you have a you have a right to stop and talk to that person, and and determine what's going on. But but you know, the, we got to use common sense. Sometimes you just don't have a reason to stop somebody, and um, you know to answer. We want to answer Steve's question, uh, but to answer the gentleman that, uh, that that talked about disabilities, he's absolutely. Right. We've got to do a better job of being able to relate or recognizing uh, individuals that have disabilities um, and, uh, you know, having resources in place uh, and, and getting to be uh, better partners. Uh, with our community that suffer from some type of disability i can't I can't argue with that. I won't try to argue with that or justify our actions in that, but we we do have to do a better job of that and and serve for that as, as a police chief. I want to apologize enforcement as a whole now, I think we've come up we've come farther than we are because there are some resources out there that help us to uh, address the needs of our 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 community that that may be, that are disabled. But well, we can do a better job. Uh, uh, we really can do a better job.
6: Well, you know, Keith, and I'm going to say this, I, you know, you always, you want to be positive, and you want to try to find just a slight light of, of hope or positive to say about a situation. This situation right here, Keith, when you, you know, we're talking about people with, with uh, disabilities you know clearly when you talk to this you're talking to this young man it doesn't it's shouldn't have taken them that long to understand that he he's a little different uh and when somebody tells you that they're an introvert this young man was quiet uh he says hey i'm an introvert automatically Keith with me i'm gonna sit there and kind of like okay so
7: well, you can't Can make a person you, talk to you, Virgil.
6: You, again, you can't make a – and that's just a simple fact. You can't make people talk to you. But these officers wanted to physically force this young man to talk to them, to tell them where he was going, why he was looking suspicious. But, Keith, I'm going to go back to when you look at this young man's picture, and, I, you know, our listeners encourage you to uh, just Google – Elijah McClain, and look at this young man's picture. His his picture is on our uh, You and the Law uh, Facebook page. Uh, Just look at this young man, and there is nothing about him that you would feel like he is a threat. And when you hear this young man pleading that he can't breathe, Keith, that, you know, he's sobbing, he's crying, and when you look at his picture – I'm I'm going back to reflecting on when former President Obama uh, said about Trayvon uh, Martin. Martin, hey, he could he he could have been my son. Well, this this Elijah McClain could have been easily one your son or my son walking down the street. He's 140 pounds, Keith. And I just found where it was. They used six point five kilograms of this. Kirk, what is it, Tiedman In his body, Here, I, yeah, yeah. this is the K drug? And, yeah, the K drug, or the, the the K shot? Now, which Keith, this was one and a, one and a half times the dose for his weight. So even the paramedics, and I think that's why the paramedics have have been charged in this here, because they should have known that this is not something that they should have used. They should have told the officers, no, we're not going to administer this to this young man. But then the fire department in Aurora, Colorado, they are allowed to use this drug, to sedate combative or aggressive people. So just think about that, our listeners. The fire department has the, the ability, the authority, to use this drug to sedate a combative or aggressive person. Well, an officer can articulate and say, well, hey, you're being combative or you're being aggressive, so we're just going to call the fire department out and they're going to shoot you up with some with, with the k with the K with the K shot, so we ain't really got to deal with you. I mean, Keith, I mean, when do you have the authority to just take control of another person's body? And so well, they ended up shooting so they used this they overdosed him with this stuff. he is in a coma for the next six days, and they take him off of life support. So, again, Keith, they're just – and I think, you know, this case happened in 2019, but they just – so why did it take – again, you got so many people who ask me, why did it take them two years to finally get an indictment?
7: But well, you, you know what, Virginia, I, You know, I think every state is different. I think every state is different, and, and I don't oh, yeah. want to jump to conclusions that they stalled on it. I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt that it was the, the investigation took this long, which that is that's not a that doesn't make a family feel any better uh, because the family's still trying to understand, you know, what happened in the community. What what I will tell you is that you know one of the things that, that I want to clarify to the listeners, we're not saying that someone who weighs 140 pounds can't be combative and can't hurt you. Uh, we're not saying that at all. Uh, but what we are saying is uh, you just can't walk up to people because they look a certain way and and, and, and and have an encounter with them. The law is very, very clear. When you don't have reasonable suspicion or probable cause to stop someone, a person does not have to identify themselves. Uh, if you can say all day, "Hey, my name is is Keith, and my name is Virgil, what's yours?" And if that person says, "I don't want to give you my name," that person didn't do anything wrong. You know, my my exactly. thing is, I, I'm I don't I don't know all the I don't I don't know every fact of it, but from what I gather, this young man was just walking home. Okay, he's got a mask on. Well, it's cold outside. Uh, is that uncommon for someone to wear one of those ski masks? Is that, is that uncommon? You know, we, we faced the same questions when the, when the pandemic started and, and you were going to have individuals with masks on. Uh, does that mean that because someone has a mask and you can only see their eyes, does that mean that they are going to, um, you know, do, do some damage or, you know, uh, uh, commit a crime? Uh no, it doesn't mean it. I think we've gotta we've gotta find out or determine what's that line. You know, where where's that line drawn? Um Yeah. You know, what when do we when do we understand that we can't just take a person's freedom or we can't just detain somebody? Uh when do we understand that you know I'm trying not to armchair quarterback, but what when he when this young man is telling you he's an introvert and you're saying you're doing a welfare check? Uh, what would have been wrong with contacting his relatives and say, "Hey, we've got, uh, you know, we've got your son, we got we Elijah, got your, yeah, yeah, we got Elijah out here, and, um, you know, what, what's going on with him? We were kind of concerned. He's 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 out here in the cold. Uh, is he okay? I think you could have done that. Uh, try not to second guess those officers. Mm-hmm. But but I, I just I just think that, you know, you're hearing more and more of this story. The situation in Plano, I get it. You got a young man walking uh, in his ice, and he's walking in shorts and a T-shirt. I get it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing a welfare check. But when somebody tells you, I'm okay, I'm just walking home. I think there has been pressure throughout the history of this profession from supervisors and from chiefs of police uh to to basically we have scared these officers to thinking if i don't make contact with a person if i don't detain a person if i don't find out more about this individual and i find out later on that this person was involved in a crime then i'm in trouble so we 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 have caused a lot of fear uh in this organization um you know it you know, well, we have Keith, caused Yeah, we've caused a lot know, of fear. Keith,
6: yeah. Yeah. Well Keith and I'ma say this. I you know, I think, you know, when officers if they have that mentality or that attitude, I mean you're right. But at the same time you gotta use some common sense. And and you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're a man just like this other person that you're dealing with. And when another man tells you hey, I'm I'm cool, I'm straight, I'm all right, you need to just go ahead and leave me alone, but be a man and just walk away and leave him alone. Uh, again, you know, I think some guys, they, they carry things too far, and as we've seen, Keith, people end up dying, and families are dealing with everything that they've got to deal with because of this action of a police officer but Keith we're coming up uh and we're going to take this break but when we come back we're going to get back into the conversation of the story behind Elijah McClain who uh died in 2019 in Aurora Colorado but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
0: If you're an African-American man, you need to know about
7: oral cancer. Oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. If you have a sore or lump in your mouth that doesn't go away after two weeks, see a doctor or a dentist. Most often, these symptoms don't mean cancer, but it's important to get them checked. If you do have oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health
4: welcome back to the unlr broadcast on the bachelor news radio network you listen live at the bachelornews.airtime.pro the bachelornews.airtime.pro and of course uh, dial in before they end at 646-929-0130 in touch with chief keith Green.
6: back to you guys hey keith uh you know we had two comments earlier from our listeners and one of the comments or probably a question was about uh this whole situation that took place in aurora colorado and the fact that you know it's it's just not aurora but many other other cities that these things that have happened to uh or have occurred real but, real
4: quick virgil um i think what they meant was, <clears throat> excuse me that aurora's had an issue in the past so these uh, repeat yeah. offender. they're saying people should not be including you guys yes that's what they put in parentheses should not be surprised
6: well, yeah, and that's what I was – yeah, and I was going to get to that point that, you know, this agency is – is this isn't the first time that they've had um, – they've been in the, the negative spotlight in their community, and the fact that you've got, uh, you know, individuals who uh, don't want to come out and, and publicly just – if it's – you know, Keith, I have to say this, if it's wrong, it's wrong. I mean – I just could, I don't see how you, as a police chief, yeah, you, you've got to, you've got an agency that you're leading. Uh, you've got a lot of people who don't want you to say certain things. You've got people who do want you to say certain things. But when you've had an agency who has had a pattern of racial profiling in the community, especially in the black community, and these things continue to happen, and the people who live in this city don't see any changes. You, you just can't keep sugarcoating and, and trying to put a Band-Aid on it and say, yeah, we're in the community, we're doing this. But the people who live in that community, they don't see that. And, and by all accounts, when outside agencies have looked at this agency, they have seen a clear pattern of racial profiling, uh police officers uh excess use of force. So again, these agencies really need to clean up their act. Uh and, and because it's the community that that's suffering.
7: Well, let me let me say this, Virgil. Um one of the things I wanna I want to share to the share with the listeners is that the, the policies, the, the the roadmap, the foundation, and the roadmap are there. Uh, as far as every department has policies, um, I, I'm I'm going to say sometimes. Well, I'm going I'm going to ask a question, Virgil. Is it is it always the department? Is it always the policies, or can it sometimes be that individual? And then if and then if it comes back to it's that individual. Then it comes back to well, when did they know? When did they see a um, a pattern? And then when you find out there was a pattern, then how did that pattern go unnoticed, or how did it go un, un, uh, untouched? Those those are the questions. It doesn't necessarily mean the policies aren't there. It means the fact that somewhere that 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 officer got comfortable. Performing their duties, it's, it's like it's like it's like Chauvin. Chauvin had a history. Why was Chauvin still there? Uh, mm-hmm. Did somebody turn a blind eye? Did you know? Because you heard all these stories during his trial that this is not new. This doesn't surprise us. Well, that's a problem in itself, right there. Uh, it, it it's too late when something like this occurs, and then and then officers or the department wants to get on the stand and they want to say, well, yeah, this person had that reputation or yeah, this person in training, this person, we were notified of this. It's too late then. And so is it always the department as a whole? Uh, and, and I, and I get it to the citizens, the, the everybody on the department represents the department. Uh, the chief is held accountable for the actions of of his, of his offices that he should And so I just want to make sure That uh, citizens Know that you can't always blame it The listeners know It's not always the department It's not always the policies It's sometimes that you just have those individuals That have those character flaws But then it goes back to When did you know it Because like I said it's too late After 18 allegations It's too late after someone's life or someone's been injured or another officer has been injured at the, uh, uh, based on the, the, the poor actions of an of officer, it's too late. So this type of behavior is not new. When, when, when did these paramedics do this? This is not the first time, like you said, it happened. So why did they continue to do that? Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, Why did they continue to do that? Why would they continue to practice in that manner? Why were the officers yeah. allowed to? So that, that's that's the bigger question. What what made them feel comfortable doing that? Yeah. Well,
6: Keith, and you know, another thing that just came down in the in the past week that the that I want our listeners to know is that the Colorado uh, Attorney General Office is forcing the Aurora uh, Police uh, Department to. Uh, to put in reforms uh, because under their investigation, they saw a pattern of racial bias in excessive force. And so, you know, if, if I'm the police chief of this agency and you've been there for years, how is it that you don't know that these things are going on in your agency? And then all of a sudden, Keith, when it gets to, when it leads to the death of a 23-year-old, and now you've got top law enforcement agency in your state is forcing you to make uh, changes within your police department, and also he is seeking a consent decree uh, with the department to outline steps uh, to, to fix these problems. And so, you know, again, at some point, you got – there is some complacency that has happened to where I can't say anything about it. If I say anything about it, I got the union guys against me. If I say anything about it, I got the council people against me. If I say anything about it, I may lose my job. But at the end of the day, it, you know, you've got to do what's right. And I think when you – if you go home, if you any kind of a man, any kind of a man, Keith, do you go home – and you are watching the news in your city and you you see this video of this twenty three year old who is pleading for his life, who is telling the officer that he cannot
7: breathe. And that's that's the thing that that's the it, thing right it, there. It's
5: it just been, the it it it's
7: frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> because you know what? Because you know what, Virgil, after thirty three years, I can actually say when I was a young officer, I've heard people not necessarily say they could not breathe, but they had to use the restroom, or the cuffs were too tight. And I've heard officers say, "Man, you just want to, you just, you just trying to stall." Uh, we don't take. And it, that's where it comes down to this humanity thing. It comes down to the point of everybody's not lying. I get it. I get there are people that that, that play the game and they want oh, yeah. to prolong their yeah. trip to jail and. They don't you know I, I get that i mean we 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 yeah. you know we we we've seen that i mean there's been there's been officers killed you know by by this kind of behavior i get it i i i totally get it but but there's ways to handle that but it's it's like we've said before you you have to you have to put a human a human side to it, and it comes down to you know people want to say well the chief this the chief that they're just something the chief chief doesn't doesn't know um you try to you 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 put your trust and your faith in your supervisors that they will address these things appropriately um i will say that we have a good early intervention process here um and where somebody where it comes up i am notified that there's someone that's received uh these alert based alerts based on certain behavior not always negative behavior but there's there are there's thresholds. So so but, but but I but I'm saying this person saying I can't breathe. Uh this person's walking down the street. Uh you've detained this individual. This individual, if he's an introvert or just say what if this person had a form of autism or, or, or uh you know, or something like that and they don't like to be touched or they or they uh, they feel uh intimidated when when there's crowds i mean everybody's different and so what i'm saying is we got to learn how to deal with that in law enforcement we've got to learn that we can't control every situation or we can't control everyone and that's okay to not to not be able to do that it's okay it's okay to let people walk it's okay to let people go it's okay that's okay if everybody doesn't speak to us when we speak to them. That's okay. We've got to start thinking that that because we wear a badge, it, it, we, we're always right or we're in control.
6: Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, I want to get to this comment before I get to the other listener's comment about the uh, with, uh, people with disabilities. But we've got somebody who's listening to the show. We definitely thank you for listening to, to, the, to you and the law. But he says that uh, suspicious characters should be stopped for the protection of society. Uh, and then he goes on to say that you guys never talk about officer-involved shootings, wounded or killed by perks. Um, now, to the listener, you That's don't have to true. leave me. That, That's that, not, not true. true. But to, 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 to this listener, if you don't you don't believe you don't have to believe me, but I just want you to. It sounds you're an intelligent person. Google and ask yourself the question: Is there a law that says you have to identify yourself to the police? There is no U.S. federal law requiring that an individual has to identify them or themselves to the police during a Terry stop. No law. There's there's not even a municipality doesn't have a law that says the officer has the authority to stop. You can stop a person, but that person is not required by federal law to identify themselves to a police officer.
7: So and if you that's stop, not something and if you that we make. And if you stop them for reasonable suspicion or for probable cause, they do identify themselves. It has to be, uh, they have to be truthful about who they are. But they don't have to tell you anything. You can't make a person talk to you. A person doesn't have to tell you. Yeah, they should. But they don't have to talk to you. And once a person says, I'm not going to talk to you, um, um, then, okay, then you move on and determine what other methods you can you can take but but this thing about i'm I, you will talk to me and this that another man that is a that is a that's dangerous. yeah i do believe suspicious activity but let me ask you this what is suspicious yeah what, what's, what's I, like, again what's Keith, suspicious is just like i'm doing i'm doing my walk i'm doing my walk at two or three o'clock in the morning listening to my radio uh is that suspicious uh, is, well, is pulling up on car doors Or looking in cars at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning Is that suspicious? Absolutely But yeah, me just walking down yeah. the street Me just walking down the street uh, 2 o'clock in the morning is, is Does that mean that's suspicious? I mean you can speak to well, me And let me know you're there But that doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong
6: Yeah Well, well Keith and this whole thing with Elijah McClain, It all initiated From a person That these officers don't know who called 911 and said, hey, there's this suspicious man walking down the street, and he's got on a a mask. Okay, well, there again, you've had so many people who have just called into the police with false information, and that false information has led to the death of, of individuals. So just like with this situation, this person said, "Oh, he was he was uh looked suspicious." Then the officer said, "Well, you are uh suspicious. You're walking down the street and whatever." And it led to the death of a 23-year-old. So I want to add, you know, the person who just made this comment about, you know, uh the yeah, officers, you know, need to be able to do that. This young man did not deserve to die. He did not deserve to die. All he was doing was walking. He walked to the store. He should have had that same freedom to walk back home without fearing to have anything happen to him. And oftentimes, and Keith, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show, but oftentimes, Keith, people have the attitude and they'll say exactly what this person is saying, but let this same thing happen to one of their family members is is the total opposite.
7: So, well, well, Virgil, let me Virgil, let me say, let me say this: we we do talk about uh, we do talk about officers have been injured. We talk about their families. As a matter of fact, we talked last week about uh, the number of officers that have died uh, from COVID complications of COVID. And basically, we talked about that it's outnumbered the number of officers who've been shot and killed. We always honor. Um, our, our people, but I'm, I'm saying it. I'm always honor people, officers who've been killed in line of duty. Matter of fact, one of the one of the one a Houston officer was killed yesterday uh, by yeah. by a violent suspect who who had been arrested eighteen times. Uh, that that's a problem when they went out. That is that they went out there. That man put his life on the line. Thirty one year veteran, wife recently retired from the department. He was killed by someone who didn't value life. So so, we, we do talk about those things. We are talking about police officers who, don't, who, who believe that they have to address every issue they see. They have to stop everybody. We're not talking about the actual suspicious activity. It's not suspicious. That, that young man wasn't doing it. That young man basically was contacted because somebody, whomever, he looked suspicious. That that yeah. that's what it is. It's it's not against the law to dress a certain way, and <laughs> so it's Keith, not against me, the law. It, yeah. It's just so let me ask you this question. It's frustrating that we have to have this conversation. Yeah. So
6: he was not suspicious when he walked to the store, but he was suspicious as he walked back home. That doesn't make any sense. So you know it, this this whole thing, you know. It's good to see that the criminal justice system is, is, is going to hold these individuals accountable under this 32-count indictment. Uh, and hopefully hey, the hey, family Virgil, will –
7: Hey, let me just say this, and they, and they may be found not guilty. So well, so nobody's you're, you're absolutely being right. judged. We're just saying basically no. what I have, they came back with an indictment. They still have to go to exactly. trial. They haven't been exactly. found guilty of yeah. anything.
6: Yeah, exactly. And we never say well, they hey, were. Keith,
7: we never say they did. Yeah,
6: exactly. Well, hey man, it, it's been a great show, uh, and you know I want to let our listeners know that if you want to know more about uh, Chief Swag and you and the Law podcast show, go to our Facebook page at You and the Law One on Facebook. Like us, follow us, but uh, and make sure you tune in next Tuesday for another great. Uh, episode of You and the Law, but you listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.